All right. Well, it is so great to, truly, it is great to be able to open the Word of God with you all this morning, and especially so because it is Christmas time. And one of the blessings of Christmas is that we get to reflect on the incarnation. That's the idea that God became a man and dwelt among us, that Jesus, who was born at Christmas, was both fully man, truly man, and truly God. And so it's exciting to be able to think on that and to speak about it and to rejoice in it. And last week, if you remember, Ben opened the word to us talking about the humanity of Jesus, that he truly is a man, that he was born as a man, born under the law to save us from the curse of the law from Galatians 4. This morning, we get to look at the other side and look at Christ's deity, that he is truly and fully God himself. And so I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to the book of John. We'll be in the Gospel of John this morning and the first chapter and the first five verses. So John 1, 1 through 5. Let's begin by reading these words from God to us. John 1, 1 through 5. The word of God reads, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being which has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overtake it. Father, please help us to truly understand your word this morning. Thank you for it. Thank you for your son. Thank you for the living and incarnate word. Please bless this time to our hearts this morning to worship you truly. Amen. Well, it was a busy work morning in Washington, D.C. at the metro station. And one of the people who walked into that metro station was an average-looking man wearing jeans and a long-sleeved T-shirt and a baseball cap. He was carrying a small rectangular case, and that case was a violin. This man placed his case on the ground, opened it up, took out his violin in this busy metro station in the morning, and he threw a little bit of change into the case to encourage more giving, as any wise street musician would do. And he began to play. He played his violin skillfully. He played it beautifully. He played music, which was very difficult, very advanced. And as he played, he didn't really attract a crowd. Uh, people sometimes turned their heads to look at him as they walked by, but most travelers were busy. They were going to work. They were walking through the metro, and they had to catch their connection to wherever their workplace was, and so they were in a hurry, and a few people courteously threw in a few dollars as they walked by, 
but no one was really standing around or staying to listen to the music or appreciate it. Uh, They simply walked briskly by while this beautiful music was being played. Maybe more people would have stopped to listen to this beautiful music if they understood who this man really was. He was wearing common clothes. He looked like just another working-class citizen. But the truth was that this was no ordinary street performer. This man was a man named Joshua Bell, and he was actually one of the top violinists in the world. He is actually ranked on, on a list of the top 25 violinists of all time. He makes that list along with such a musician as Antonio Vivaldi. This guy is big time. Joshua Bell can play pretty much like no other. He is a very great and skilled violinist. And it was him playing the violin in the metro station in Washington, D.C. that morning. And he was playing some of the most difficult pieces of music from people like Bach and Schubert. And yet, people did not notice him for who he really was. They didn't know his true identity, and so they did not appreciate the caliber of who this musician truly was. And it was because they didn't know who he was. Well, something similar might be said, possibly, about the baby in the manger at Christmas. Everyone would say that they know who this is, but do you really appreciate him for his true identity? Do you recognize the grandeur that this baby truly is? It's true. He came into the world as a common infant. He was born to a common woman who uh, didn't really deserve any more respect than anyone else. Uh, There was nothing especially particular or special about her. And the baby was born into very humble circumstances. He seemed like any other child. But who really is that baby? Or if we think in terms of the well-known Christmas carol, what child is this? What child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping? Who is this one? And we need to truly understand this. We need to understand his identity rightly because unlike those passers-by who missed out on listening to some world-class music from Joshua Bell, or you might just miss out on a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to hear some of the world's best violin music, this is more important even than that because if you don't recognize who the baby born at Christmas truly is, you actually miss God's salvation from eternal death and punishment into eternal life and peace with God. So, what child is this? Well, we all know, and he is best known by the name Jesus. Jesus was born in Bethlehem to the Virgin Mary as the gift from God. And he actually has many other names in scripture as well by which uh, the word of God calls him. He, He is called Emmanuel, 
in Isaiah 7, and that means God with us. And so this baby, this Jesus, is truly God with us. That's what Emmanuel means. In Isaiah 9, he is also called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. All of these names describe something true about who Jesus is as a person. In Luke 2, he is called Savior and Christ the Lord. These are all titles and names for who this baby is, but this morning I want to look at another one, a very special one, a very particular one. As we look in the book of John, we are going to see that he is also called the Word. Who is this child? He is the Word. And in John 1.14, John describes it like this. He says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So when he says the word, we know he's talking about this baby, Jesus, who came into the world to save his people from their sins. But let's learn more precisely what John wants us to know about the word as we look at John 1, verses 1 through 5. And as we come to that passage, it's critical to understand this rightly. John is introducing his gospel And his gospel is fully centered and focused on the person of Jesus Christ. In fact, he writes in his purpose statement of the gospel in John 20 and verse 31, he says, these things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. So everything that John is doing in this gospel is to prove that point, that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, and that believing in him, you may have life in his name. Now, verses 1 through 18 of this gospel are the prologue to the whole book. There are many themes that come up throughout this chapter that are going to be covered by John throughout the book, and they're picked up over and over. And and we are in the first part of that prologue, verses 1 through 5, which is the grand introduction to the person of Christ. As John is introducing who this one, who this Jesus is, who is the Christ, the Son of God, who he really is. And so, John describes him as the Word. He is the Word, the living and true Word of God. And John's main point in these verses is truly to ascribe deity to Jesus, to prove that Jesus is God. And so the main point of this passage is that the Word is God Himself. The Word is God Himself. And as such, He should be worshiped and adored. And you should believe on His name unto eternal life. He is worthy of that worship. He is worthy of that trust as the true Word of God. And we're going to look at these verses. And there are five verses, and we have five truths to look at within them. They don't all go with each with a verse, but we have five truths about the word which clearly display his deity. Five truths about the word that show that he is truly God. And the goal is that understanding that During this Christmas season, your hearts would be encouraged. You would remember and recall who Jesus truly is, and 
that will affect your worship and your appreciation for him in this time. You will give him the worship and the honor that he deserves as God. And so our first truth about the word is this, that the word is eternal. The word is eternal. He never had a beginning. He never came into being because he always was. Look at the very first words of this verse. In the beginning. Now, what does that remind you of? Where else have you heard in the beginning? All the way back to Genesis 1. It's a clear reference. It's an intentional call. John is saying you should be thinking of the creation right now. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so when John says in the beginning, he's talking about that creation. Why does he emphasize that? Well, because in Genesis, in the beginning, God created. And so someone might think, oh, okay, it's going to talk about how the word was created then. Well, that's actually just the opposite of what John is enforcing here. Rather than in the beginning God created, here we see in the beginning was the word. And so exactly what he's enforcing is that when God started to create everything, the word was already in existence. He was already there. And that's because he is eternal. He never had a beginning. He never will have an end. He eternally exists. And that's even enforced by the exact verb that John uses. He says the word was, and that's an English translation, but in Greek, it's in a special tense that emphasizes continuing or ongoing existence. And so what he's showing is that this word is eternal. By the way, what does God call himself in the Old Testament? And what does Jesus often call himself in the book of John? He says, I am. It's that same kind of verb. He, this is just a self-existent one. This is the almighty God who never had a beginning, will never have an end, always exists. He exists in himself because he needs no other to support him. He has life in himself. And so he is the God who can say, I am. And if you're talking about him in the third person, you can say he was. So in the beginning, the word was. He simply existed. He was already there when things started to come into being the word existed from the start. And so he always was, he always is, he always will be, and that's what it means to say in the beginning was the word. And so the word is eternal. And that proves that he is God because there is nothing else eternal that is, that is not God. There is nothing else that has no beginning. Even the angels were created the stars of heaven were created. The whole earth was created and everything in it. But God was not created. God alone is eternal. And that is the attribute described here, ascribed to the word himself. He is eternal. And so that's the first truth that shows the word to be God. Secondly, number two, the word is with God. The word is with God. And we see that in the second part of verse one. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. By the way, there's that verb was, it came up again. You can count it coming up a number of times in this passage. And every time it's talking about that ongoing existence idea. The word was, that means he continually existed with God. What does that mean exactly? Well, it means that he was in close communion with God. I want to give you two aspects of this, too, though, and they are the idea of personhood 
and the idea of relationship. So it shows that the word is a person and it shows that the word has a close relationship with God himself. But how do we see personhood in this? Well, John actually uses a very special word for with here. It's not the normal word that you would use for with. In Greek, there's a, there's a special word that you can use for with that actually almost always describes one person with another person. Like you can talk about having your phone with you. Your phone is not another person. You, it's an object that you have with you. There's all kinds of things that you can have with you that are not another person. But the word that John uses here specifically emphasizes a person being with a person. And so we see the personhood of the word here. This is an important concept because we don't usually think of a word as a person. It's a concept. It's an idea. It's communication. And, and what John is trying to enforce here that Jesus is much, much more than that, especially with the surrounding culture of Greek thought at the time. They had this idea of the eternal logos. Logos is the Greek word for word. And they had this idea that this logos was a sort of divine reason or wisdom with a capital W or sort of this force that governs creation. That's what the Greeks thought the word was. And John is saying, you're not all wrong, but that doesn't go far enough. This word, he is the governing force of all creation. He is the ultimate standard for reason and wisdom and order. He did create all things, but he is not just an impersonal force, but an actual person. The word is an actual person. We're talking about the second person of the Trinity here. And actually, the Jews would have picked up on this well because the Old Testament has been setting up for it all along. So many times in the Old Testament, we see the phrase, and the word of Yahweh came to somebody. The word of Yahweh came to the prophets. And actually, the first time that we see that phrase come up is in Genesis 15.1. And listen to, that, to what that says. In Genesis 15.1, the word of Yahweh came to Abram in a vision. And so there's some element that we see in this where you can see the word. Abram saw the word of God. We don't know exactly what that looked like or how it was, but you can see that the word is a person. It's not just a sound. He is a person who reveals God to his people. This is the way that God has always revealed himself to his people. It's always through his word, whether the written word or the living word, Jesus Christ. And so it is the word as a person who comes to the prophets to reveal himself to God's people. He came to Elijah. He came to Jeremiah. He came to Ezekiel 45 times. Ezekiel is a book all about the presence of God. And so it's fitting that the word of God would be with Ezekiel mentioned 45 times throughout the book. The word of God came to Jonah. The word of God came to Zechariah. And by the way, the word for came in Hebrew is actually the word, it's a state of being verb. Literally, the word was to these people. And that's the same thing that John has been saying here in 1 John. The word was with God. The word was in the beginning. He simply always existed as a person with God. And one commentator put it this way. When God imparted revelation to the prophets, the Son of God was often personally present. This is the pre-incarnate. Christ, the second person of the Trinity, appearing to reveal himself to his people. But what John reveals here is something even more special as we see the climax of that. 
God always revealed himself through his word, but never in so special a way as the incarnation when the word himself became flesh and dwelt among us as a man. This way he truly revealed who God is, such that Jesus could say, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. This is the way that God revealed himself to us, and this shows that he is God, because only by seeing God in the living word do you truly understand him. That's why John says no one has seen God at any time, but the only begotten of God, he has explained him. And so through Jesus, who was with God, showing that he is a person together with God, he is God. But to say that the word was with God also shows something very important, and that is his relationship to the Father. The word for with, like I said, it's a special word. You could translate it toward. It doesn't make sense in English really to say that, but the idea is that you're facing someone face to face. It's talking about the word and God. They're distinct persons and they are close to each other and they are face to face. They have a perfect relationship and communion with one another. There is no break in that relationship. There is no enmity. They are in perfect unity together. And so we see something about the Trinity here as well. We don't see the spirit here, but we see God the Father and we see God the Word who is the Son and they are in perfect relationship. The word was with God. And Jesus talked about this when he prayed to the Father in John 17, 5. He said, Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. And so Jesus, as the word of God, was with God from the beginning, having a perfect relationship with him perfect communion with him, perfect love and glory in eternity with God. That was where Jesus was at the beginning of creation. And so we see that the word of God is eternal. And number two, that the word was with God in perfect relationship and as a distinct person. And number three, the only conclusion to that, and John just states it so explicitly, and the word was God. And the word was God. You don't really need to explain this. It's so straightforward. Jesus is God. The word is God. It's clear and simple. It doesn't get more straightforward than that. And so let's just look at some cross-references throughout scripture that proves this important doctrine because some cults will claim to believe that Jesus was just a created person that he was in fact created or that he was a great prophet and a true prophet, but not truly God, or that he was just a man who lived as a good moral example to follow, but he died like any other man. And we can just look at how he's set a good example in history. That is not what John says about Jesus. That is not what Jesus says about himself. That is not what scripture testifies about who he is. We see clearly in John 1, 1, the word was God. And in John 10, 30, Jesus himself said, I and the Father are one. And the Jews understood that meant he was God because they picked up stones to stone him. And Jesus said, for what good work are you stoning me? And in John 10, 33, the Jews answered him, for a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. And because you being a man, make yourself God. Jesus clearly claims to be God. In John 14, 9, Jesus corrects Philip. Because Philip said, show us the Father. 
And this is where Jesus said, have I been with you all so long and and you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? He's claiming to be God and to be one with the Father. Even Gentiles recognized this. A Roman soldier, soldier, a centurion, when Jesus died on the cross in Mark 15, 39, when the centurion who was standing right in front of him saw the way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was God's son. And in John 20, 28, this is after the resurrection. This is after Thomas got to see Jesus again after he was raised and he put his hands in the holes in Jesus's hands and he put his hand in the hole in Jesus's side and his reaction, Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. In Colossians 2, 9, for in him, all the fullness of deity dwells bodily. Hebrews 1.3, he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power, who having accomplished the cleansing for sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That is the place reserved for God. And then in Hebrews 1.8, which we got to hear earlier this morning, of the Son, the scripture says, your throne O God, is forever and ever. And the scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. And so the testimony of scripture could not be clearer. The word is God. He is divine. He is the true manifestation and revelation of the almighty and heavenly God himself. And John sums this all up in verse 2, which is really just a repetition of what has come before. He was in the beginning with God. Really, he says, this one was in the beginning with God. This is John's way of putting the statement in all caps and adding an an exclamation point. This is God. And you can know that for certain because of these words. And so... Number one, the word is eternal, and that shows that he is God because only God never had a beginning. The word is with God. He is a distinct person in perfect relationship from eternity with God, and he was God, always existing as God from before the beginning. Fourthly, the word is creator. The word is creator. Look at verse 3. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being which has come into being. If we summarize that, it's simply this. He is the creator of all things. And did you notice how John put that, how he put it in a positive statement and then a negative statement to really enforce the point? It would be similar to if we said something like, everyone was crying, there was not a dry eye in the room. Obviously, something that happened was very moving or touching. The point is made. Everyone was in tears. Or you could say it was a clear day, positive statement. There was not a cloud in the sky, and that just emphasizes that point. And so John says, all things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing, literally not one thing, 
came into being, which has come into being. And so that shows that the word is the creator of all things. He is the agent of creation. He is the way by which God made the world. If you remember back to Genesis 1, how did God create? He spoke. It was by his word. And so Psalm 33, 6 says, By the word of Yahweh, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. The way that God chose to create the world was through his word. And so even when we look at creation, we see that all three persons of the Trinity are involved. The totality of the Godhead is involved in the creation of the world. We see in Genesis 1, the spirit hovering over the face of the deep. We see the father speaking or sending forth the word, and it's the word who is doing the work. And that's supported throughout scripture. Colossians 1.16, for in him, Christ, all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. And then if we go back to Hebrews 1, we looked at that first section of Hebrews 1, 8. If we go down to verse 10, and again, this is speaking of the son, of the son, he says, verse 10, you, Lord, in the beginning founded the earth and the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, and like a mantle, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will also be changed, but you are the same, and your years will not come to an end. And so there is a massive distinction between the Word and His creation. They are not the same. They are incomparable. And we see that in the wording of John. Right? See how many times he says that the word was in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. This one was in the beginning with God. And then all things, not were, all things came about through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being, which has come into being. So the word always was, but all creation comes into being. There's a huge difference between the creator and the creation. And that's what John is showing here. He was not a created thing. He is not just the preeminent of all the created things. He is the agent of creation himself. Nothing was made apart from his divine work and power. Only God has that power, by the way. In Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Very specific word for create there that's only used to describe God. Humans can form things. Humans can mold things. Humans cannot create anything out of nothing. Only God does that. And so if everything came into being through the word, then he truly is God. Well, there's one final truth to see in this passage, and that's very important. It's this. The word is salvation. The word is salvation. If we read verses 4 and 5, we see this. In him, and that's put at the front for a reason. It's emphatic. In him was life. Again, was. Always this is the case. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overtake it. And so here we see John putting life and light together. 
They are inextricable. You don't take them apart from each other. The, the life was the light of men. It's the same wording to describe that the word was God. The life was the light. What John is talking about here is, and it's not just biological life. It's not just the ability to live and move and have your being. This is spiritual life. So often in the gospel of John used to refer to eternal life because the word is the author of all life. He is the author of eternal life. He is the author of spiritual life, and that's what every person truly needs. Only in him is this life found. And that's why Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. But why is he described also as light? Well, light, it it can refer to moral purity, right? Perfection. We see that in 1 John 1, 5, where this is the message, John says, we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. He's perfect. There's no spot or blemish about him. He is sinless. But light also refers to the revelation of, or the information that we receive from God about the way of salvation. That's the way it's described in the Old Testament. Light is given to people to show them the way to life, to show them how they can truly live forever and have peace with God. In Isaiah 49, 6, God talks to his servant, who is the pre-incarnate Christ. He says that he is going to send him into the world to save sinners. And he says in Isaiah 49, 6, is it too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to cause the preserved ones of Israel to return? I will also give you as a light to the nations so that my salvation may reach the end of the earth. So do you see how light is working here? Light is revealing God's truth to the nations so that salvation reaches the ends of the earth. That is why the light came. And that's what Simeon realized, that prophet who got to hold Jesus in his arms before he died, who got to hold the baby Jesus for the first time in Luke 2. And he was so amazed that he was privileged to do that. And he prayed to God, now, master, you are releasing your slave in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation which you prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. And so again, light was promised and light came. The one who would reveal God's truth and the way of salvation to mankind. That is why the angels say, I bring you good news of great joy. Arise, shine, for your light has come quote from Isaiah. And in verse five, we see that this light can't be beat. He can't be overcome. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not overtake it. And so God's light, and it's just like you would expect if you have a dark room and you light a candle, darkness immediately dissipates. There's no level of darkness that can overcome light. And so 
Jesus as the light, as the true revelation and salvation for those who believe in him will be victorious. He cannot lose. He cannot be overcome. He cannot be overtaken. That's what God promised even back in Genesis 3.15, that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. Darkness would never overcome the light. The darkness did not overtake it. Victory, total success. And who is the only one who is the victor forever, who can never be beat, who can never be overcome, who is the ultimate power of the universe, we are talking about none other than Almighty God. And so again and again and again, we see that this one, this Jesus, whom John is introducing in John chapter 1, is God. He describes him as the Word of God, and he describes him inexplicably, inextricably as God. You cannot break apart that identity from Jesus himself. He is eternal. He is a person in perfect relationship with God. He is the creator and the uncreated one. He is the savior. He is God in the flesh. Why is that so important for this time of year to think on? Why is that so important for your life and for your salvation? Well, you needed a man who is also truly God, to be saved from your sin. Because he, he had to be perfectly sinless to take away your sin. Your sin requires a perfect sacrifice, a spotless, unblemished lamb. And only God is that pure and holy. And so only he could be your sacrifice for sin. He also had to be perfectly righteous to give you his own righteousness. You can't stand before God unless you are perfectly holy and righteous before him. And yet Jesus came that he might fulfill the law, he said in Matthew 5. He was perfectly righteous, and that is something that only God is. There is none righteous, not even one, Romans says. Only God is righteous. He had to be infinite and eternal to bear the sins of the world. Maybe one righteous person could bear the sins of another sinful person, but to bear the sins of all sinners who will trust in him, he needed to be infinite and eternal as all holy God. And by the way, no mere man can withstand the wrath of God and live. And yet Jesus bore the full weight of that wrath because of your sin on his body on the tree so that he might bring you to God. And he could only do that because he himself was God. Also, he was with God. He had a perfect relationship with God. And so he is the only one who can bring you to God so that you can have a right relationship with him. You need God to reconcile you to himself. And that's who the word is. That's who Jesus is. That's the one that God sent into this world. That's the word who became flesh. Jesus Christ, the living word, this is the one who is God. So Joshua Bell, he was accustomed to the glory of the concert hall, we might say. As a world-renowned musician, he was accustomed to playing a $3.5 million Stradivarius violin one of the most expensive instruments ever. In the spotlight of the concert hall, where even the cheap seats cost $100. And so he was accustomed 
and packing out that hall to making $1,000 a minute playing his violin skillfully. But when he took up the clothes of a commoner and played in that subway, amid working-class people, his presence went unappreciated because they did not know who he was. There was no applause for his, affor- for his performance, and there was no great sum of money brought to him as reward He made $32.17 that day. They did not know him, and so they did not appreciate him. Far, far greater is Jesus Christ, the word of God. He was accustomed to the glory of heaven. From all eternity, he enjoyed the radiance of divine glory in perfect relationship with his father, in perfect communion with God, and with the Holy Spirit, and he mightily created all things by the word of his power. He alone is due the worship of angels. They worship him saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That's the glory that he says, I had with you, O Father, in the beginning. He was used to that glory, and what he did was an even greater humbling of himself as the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a slave, by being made in the likeness of men. And sadly, John 1.11 says that he came unto what was his own, his own creation, but those who were his own did not receive him. They did not esteem him as God, like he truly deserved. But we have seen how clearly scripture testifies as to who this one is. And so the question this morning is, what about you? What do you believe about Jesus? What do you believe about the word? What do you see in that baby in the manger at Christmas time? Do you recognize him for who he truly is? Do you appreciate him? Do you worship him and praise him? Do you love him with all your heart and soul and mind and strength? Do you see the sacrifice that God gave for you, his only son, so that all who believe in him might not perish but have eternal life? So do you devote your whole heart and life to him? Do you trust in him fully for eternal life? He is worthy of these things because he is God. This is who Jesus is. This is who the word is. He is the true God and the eternal life. Let's pray to him. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus, you reveal yourself to us. And you you reveal the Father to us by coming in the flesh as Almighty God. Lord, thank you for that humility, for that sacrifice that you humbled yourself to the point of death and even death on a cross so that you might be highly exalted so that every knee will bow in the heavens and earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Lord, we pray that we would truly recognize your identity, that we would truly worship you as God this season. Thank you for coming to rescue us from our sins. May all praise and glory and honor be to your name forever. Amen.